Welcome back to Gesundheit with Jacobus, Health Talk Radio. Now your host, Jacobus Hollowine. And welcome back to the third and last hour of Gesundheit with Jacobus this morning. We are happy that you're with us, and we hope that you enjoy the program just as much as I do. Uh, this is the first time I met Dr. Shaney. I We communicated by email primarily, and uh, last time he was supposed to be on, he had to go quickly to the East Coast, and we had to cancel that program, and so we're happy that he's with us today. Um, very interesting stuff talking about lung health, uh, because we take things for granted until something goes kaput. And Dr. Shaney, medical doctor, uh, also a fellow of the American College of Physicians, graduate of Princeton and Columbia College of Physicians and Surgeons, New York. He moved to the Gallatin Valley in June. He's a pulmonary critical care physician specializing in lung health at higher elevations. He's also professor of medicine at the University of Washington until 2003 and did something like that, professor of medicine in, uh, in San Diego at the university. Uh, associate director of the WAMI program from through the University of Washington, member of the 1981 American Medical Research Expedition to Mount Everest as a climber scientist, and he went as a researcher on other projects in Alaska and South America, including two Denali medical research projects. He has written several books that we have mentioned. Uh, some of them are, well, some of them, all of them are fascinating. Uh, the, the latest one he wrote that came out this last year, it's called High Altitude Medicine and Physiology. High Altitude Medicine and Physiology. He wrote that with John West as well as with James Millich. That is a in-depth research in, on, in the physiology as well as disorders, exercise programs that can be done on high elevation and the results of that. It's, a, it's quite a piece of work. All the books that he wrote is The Lung in Extreme Environments, an issue of clinics in chest medicine, came out in 2005. He co-wrote a book called High Altitude, an, an exploration of human adaption, lung biology and health and disease. That came out in 2001. And then also he wrote Clinics in Chest Medicine, Volume 26, Number 3, The Lung in Extreme Environments. He is available through the Bozeman Deaconess Internal Medicine as an associate by calling 522-2400, 522-2400. And he is with us today, and we have a caller who would like to talk to you, Dr. Shaney. Caller, good morning. What is your name and how can we help you, please? This is Vernon again. Yeah, Vernon. Quick story. My wife and I first married, and we tried to settle in the Durango, Colorado area, and we were camping up in the San Juan National Forest, and she got pregnant. When she became pregnant, she was uh, sick as a dog with morning sickness 24-7. And when we got back down, on, we had to leave the area. We kind of figured out what was going on. We got down off of the mountains and down. She stayed sick until we got to the elevation uh, equivalent to Amarillo, Texas, and never had any more morning sickness after that. Mm -hmm. Beyond just a little normal in the morning. And that was our first brush with uh, mountain altitude sickness. It really exasperated her uh, morning sickness. Mm -hmm. um, my question, my wife wanted me to call. <clears throat> I have a persistent cough, and I have uh, 
what looks like light bruising at the base of my uh, rib cage on the sides where my arms hang. And uh, I have uh, a persistent reoccurring cough that got worse while I was using a certain blood pressure medicine, switched the medicine, and it got less severe. But I still have it, especially in the morning. Uh, am I still talking of reaction to medicine, or is there anything you can comment based on that little scenario? Yeah, very interesting. The uh, blood pressure medication that sounds like, and I'm just guessing a little bit, but is one that is associated at times. It's an excellent medication, by the way, uh, relatively new over the last 10 years or so. But it is associated in some patients with a very aggravating, persistent cough. And thus, it has to be stopped. Most of the time, in my experience, that when that medication is stopped, the cough uh, does go away. Uh, the persistence of it, I don't know for sure. I assume you don't have any other lung disease and that you don't smoke. Is that I quit smoking when I was 18. Okay, very good. So that it may be just a lingering effect of the medication. How long ago did you stop the medication? Well, I've been on a, an alternate medication for over a year now. Okay. And the, the previous medication, the coughing got more severe continually until I was uh, convulsing to the point where I couldn't, I couldn't function. And now I have a persistent uh, morning cough that uh, worries my wife. <laughs> um, well, as I say, it, it could be at a lingering effect. It sounds like you really had uh, the bad side effects from that one medication, which... Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it may just be the airways, meaning your trachea and bronchi and so forth, still being irritated from that uh, really bad episode of cough. The airways are very sensitive, and if one gets a, a viral bronchitis, for instance, sometimes it's months before the cough it totally goes away. And I'm just guessing a little bit, but it may be that it's a lingering effect of the uh, medication, given that your health sounds like it's otherwise pretty good. Uh, it's getting better. <laughs> good. Yeah, good. Well, I, I think uh, you can always get back in touch and we can uh, chat if it doesn't go away in the next, say, six months. But uh, it sounds like you had a really bad bout of that side effect. Okay. I, my wife worries about the little bruising marks on the side of my lung cage, rib cage. Uh, you mean on the outside? You can see them from the outside. Yeah, you can see them through the skin. It's like maybe somebody punched me on both sides, but not not a deep bruise. It's, it's a mild-looking bruise. Well, that's interesting. I haven't heard of that before, other than the fact that the coughing certainly can irritate the ribs and the sternum or the breastbone and things like that, and you can get inflammation. I haven't heard of the bruising. I guess I would just... Make sure your physician takes a look at those because bruising can be a sign of other things as well. So yeah, he's he's totally stumped. Oh, okay. He he, he was amazed at uh, my improvement when we switched medications, but uh, a pharmacist helped me to solve the puzzle with the coughing on the previous medication. You bet. Well, so. sometimes it takes a team to do it, but uh, I guess I'd have to see the bruising. It it sounds interesting and unusual. Uh, if it's been there for a while and you're doing okay, it. Uh, you know, it's probably nothing serious. But uh, keep... how long have you had it, Vernon? How long have you had the bruising or the discoloration? A couple of years. Oh wow! This is not something that just came on. No, it it was um, noticed while I was having the bad coughing, but it it's it's remained afterwards. Interesting. Um, I don't have an answer for you. Uh, certainly would be worth, as you say, your physician has looked at it, and I, I assume has looked for other 
causes of bruising, uh, blood things, and things like that. Mm. Um, those kinds of things come to mind as well. How, how big is the area, Vernon? Is it left and right, and how about is it if, is it round? Is it le- it, it, it's uh, if I cup my hands, I can cover the whole area, and you wouldn't see it. But it, it's maybe fist size on each side. Hmm. Wow. Well. Uh, the fact that it's been there for a couple of years and it hasn't gotten worse is reassuring, although still I think it ought to be checked periodically because it could be a reflection of some other bruising problem. You don't bruise anywhere else, do you? No. Okay. Um, last question. Um, uh, my medical vocabulary is not very good. Could you briefly uh, define uh, the uh, different kinds of edema that you've uh, mentioned over the last uh, couple hours, uh, pulmonary and otherwise? Yes. The, uh, the two that I mentioned particularly uh, are high-altitude pulmonary and high-altitude cerebral edema. Now, edema is a nonspecific term, which just means fluid that is accumulated outside of the blood vessels. Now, you can get edema in your brain and your skin and muscles and lungs and so forth. Congestive heart failure, for instance, causes edema in the lungs. But in terms of the two altitude-related edemas, the... Uh, high-altitude pulmonary edema, which can impair oxygen uh, transport in the lung, and it can be severe, and it can be fatal, is uh, a type of edema that results in some people who develop high blood pressure, not in their, not in the classic blood pressure way, but high pressures in their lungs. And the, the pressure within the vessels causes stretching of those vessels and leak. Now, having said that, if the individual who gets high-altitude pulmonary edema, which usually occurs in the first two to three days at a new altitude, usually 9 to 10 to 12,000 feet or so, uh, if the patient rests or takes oxygen or uses an occasional medication that we know works, it goes away and it, it, it's not a problem. Cerebral edema occurs usually higher 11 to 12 to 13,000 feet or higher, again, without acclimatization, people going to a higher altitude, and cerebral edema is fluid in the brain that is outside the blood vessels, and uh, as in many types of cerebral edema or brain edema, it can be very serious and, and fatal. So it's important when the symptoms first come from either one of those altitude edemas to recognize them and either treat them or come down go to lower altitude because they'll go away. Well, thanks for the show, gentlemen. Uh, thank you so much one. for the call. Very really appreciate it. We were talking about emphysema in the last half hour. We brought that up, and you were explaining to us the linings of the lungs as well as, uh, uh, you know, you were talking about bronchitis and emphysema, asthma, how these are connected. And before we, we answer that, I have a question for you. I heard, and I'll tell me if this is right, that the lungs are actually moving because the rib cage pulls it out and pushes it in. Is that the way it works, actually? Well, because you would think that if you inhale, that your rib cage comes out so that the lungs are pushing the rib cage out, but that's not the way it works. Is well, that right? it's, it's actually an interesting relationship between the rib cage and the lungs. Okay. And the diaphragm. Mm-hmm. The diaphragms are the big muscles that are uh, you know, at the bottom of the lungs that contract and pull the lungs down and suck air in is, is one way to put it. The lungs are like a bellows. 
and just moving air in and out. So when the diaphragms contract and the intercostal muscles contract, the rib cage uh, expands. And again, it's just like developing negative pressure in the chest cavity so that air comes in. Okay? Okay. So, but it is an interesting relationship between the lungs who, if you didn't have a rib cage, okay. and you took the lungs out and put them on the table, they would be smaller. Oh. If you took the rib cage without the lungs, they would get bigger. So it's sort of like the yin and the yang between the rib cage wanting to be oh. bigger and the lungs wanting to be smaller. Yeah, yeah. And of course they're connected by a very thin fluid, uh, the lining in the so-called pleural space, the lining of the lungs that keeps the lungs tacked to the rib cage and allows the lungs to get bigger and smaller and bigger and smaller with each breath. Oh. So just like a bellows, I guess is a simple way to put it. Well, then I'm I'm start. I think all of a sudden about water polo players. Even when when you've played uh, water polo a lot when you were younger, these people often have a much much bigger chest. Mm-hmm. Is there a connection there? Well, th- th- that's a, a question that is really interesting because it has been shown that if you take up some aerobic sport heavy-duty swimming or high-altitude climbing, at age 19 or above, your lungs don't change. Okay. The the muscles get stronger, of course, because you're breathing more, but the lungs don't change. If, on the other hand, you take up uh, age group swimming, as a lot of kids do at age 7 or 8, and they do that through their teenage years, their lungs tend to be larger than comparable kids. Okay. And that is... Because the stimulation, I think, of the, uh, of the heavy breathing from athletic training during the formative years, as the body is still developing, uh, the lungs will be bigger. Same thing happens in people who are born and raised at high altitude. Their lungs are bigger and have more capacity for oxygen transfer than people at low altitude. So they have a tendency to have a bigger chest. Yes. Chest cavity. Yes. Oh. Huh. Huh. All right, going back to emphysema and bronchitis. So in bronchitis, we're really talking about inflammation of all the little tubes that run through the body that, that, that bring the oxygen into the, into the lungs. Is that right? Correct. And then because pulmonary fibrosis is really not the bronchial tubes, this is really the, the lung tissue itself. It's called the alveoli. Is that how you say Well, the uh, little bit of anatomy, the... Bronchial tubes, yes, which, as we talked about, branch out into thousands of uh, little branches. Branches uh-huh. uh, go directly to the alveoli, and the alveoli are the air sacs. The air comes into the alveoli, and then there are a bunch of blood vessels around each of the alveoli. Okay. And humans have millions of alveoli. Mm-hmm. Each individual has that, so they're very small. But that the blood that goes around the alveoli picks up the oxygen and gives off the carbon dioxide, and is breathed in and out. In a, in a normal system. Yeah. Now, something like pulmonary fibrosis yeah. can destroy all of those structures, the, the blood vessels, the alveoli, and so forth, but it's thought to begin in the supporting structure of the alveoli, the so-called interstitial spaces of the lung. Mm-hmm. So the lung is, you know, it has to be a structure that has integrity that will stay inflated, and the alveoli do that, but also these supporting structures uh, the, the fibrous tissue and so forth helps support the, the, the integrity of the lung. Yeah. So uh, interstitial fibrosis 
is in fact that pulmonary fibrosis that those structures supporting structures become inflamed become scarred and in the process destroy the alveoli and the blood vessels right and then uh, you build scar tissue yes and then it just keeps going like a like a like a train just keep going and moving and expanding and eventually you just can't breathe correct that that happens now uh, some people say that it could happen because of environmental toxins Uh, in my mother's case they're saying it may be that she had an allergy to trees that were growing around her house other theories are could be from secondhand smoke and my father was a smoker but he died 31 years ago my mother never smoked Mm -hmm. in her life is that true those are two possibilities well i think we don't know what causes interstitial fibrosis. That's By right. We, there's I nobody mean, a cure either, huh? No. There's, huh. there's no real cure. You can suppress its progression sometimes with medication, or lung transplantation has been used as well, which sometimes is, is helpful. Huh. Uh, but the, uh, and again, no one knows what causes it. There are certain types of other scarring processes in the lung that we know are caused by inhaled toxins. Asbestos, for instance, which... You know, it's gotten a lot of publicity, yeah. and appropriately so, yeah. causes scarring in the lungs, mm-hmm. and the lungs become diseased. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of inhaled allergies, the, uh, as you alluded to, that your mother may have been exposed to in terms of um, trees, trees mm-hmm. uh, affects more of the airways than the interstitium, meaning the uh, it, it, more of the airways and alveoli than the actual supporting structures. In the secondhand smoke, that too is more of an airway type of process. Okay. So, you know, I, I think that although they may have contributed to your mother's decline in lung function, yeah, uh, those kinds of things would probably not have been the primary um, irritant that that caused the pro- progression of her interstitial fibrosis. Uh, one thing that they have told her in the Netherlands, the lung specialist said. Usually when you're older, and she just turned 80 in March, when you're older, it may actually go slower. And in her case, it seems to start to accelerate. She has always been healthy, um, I have to say, lived on her own, did everything. She, she may cooks her own food. She doesn't eat junk or anything. Uh, walked. She never drove a car, never learned how to drive, so she always walked everywhere. Um, is that strange that things accelerate in her case, that it, uh, that it was diagnosed officially about a year ago and that all of a sudden it accelerated and that she is in hospice right now? Mm-hmm. That, um, is that rare for older age to go so fast? Uh, two comments. One, I think the fact that she has lived till 80 and has done reasonably well, obviously well. with her life, well. is a reflection of her lifestyle prior to that. Yeah. In other mm-hmm. words, she's been active, she's walked, and so forth. In terms of the interstitial fibrosis, there are a whole bunch of different categories of those, and they're unpredictable in terms of how they progress. Mm-hmm. Now, you can one can sometimes tell from a lung biopsy, in other words, taking a piece of the tissue, yeah. that this type of interstitial fibrosis may be one that will progress quickly, and others that may progress a little bit less quickly. Some just plateau and don't get worse. Correct. So it's very unpredictable. And it's not unusual uh, for your mother at 80 to have it progress. Now, it's probably been going on for a long time. 
Well, I know that she was complaining about allergies a few years ago, that she would have it during the summer, spring, mm -hmm. summer, and then it would be gone. Mm -hmm. And so she just figured it was an allergy, but this last year it stayed longer, and yeah. we, we suggested she better see a doctor, and, and that's when the thing started rolling. But, uh, yeah, so that's interesting. Now, um, going back to, to the bronchitis, uh, bronchitis is something that comes up regularly, uh, we can have smoker's bronchitis, but we can also have bronchitis for other reasons. And bronchitis is something that happens more in this area, in the Gallatin Valley. Uh, people come in, uh, even see me, and say, what do you have for bronchitis? Uh, tell us a little bit more. Is it always, is it, is it more acute and goes away, or is it something that is building up and will become a chronic problem? Good, good question. I think uh, bronchitis is, again, sort of a nonspecific term of uh, just inflammation of the airways that leads to secretions and cough and so forth. Many people get an acute bronchitis, usually from a, a virus or bacteria that's transient and may never come back, mm -hmm. or may occur once a year and not progress. The other type of bronchitis that we talked about earlier, the chronic bronchitis, is almost always from smoking, does not go away if the smoking continues, mm -hmm. and can progress to emphysema. Right. Okay. So that's it. So it turns into emphysema then. It, the chronic bronchitis. Can. Right. Now, again, as I say, the, the type of acute bronchitis that all of us get at some point in time right, right, uh, right. doesn't progress and just comes and goes or may never come back. Mm, I know we're coming up to a break, but I, I kind of wonder if it is diagnosed early uh, in Western medicine, are there actually solutions to, to help improve the situation let's say the person is not smoking or is it usually medication that is used in order to 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 ease the symptoms as i, I want to know from you when we come back okay. if you actually have some suggestions what people could do in order to improve the situation without using medication okay okay so dr robert shaney is with us today talking about lung health uh, what a what a gem uh, coming into the community he and his wife are both uh, pulmonary specialists so maybe on the next program we'll have his wife come in as well but stay tuned please uh, we're going to be right back 